Hey, good morning, everybody. See everybody. Nice that it's not pouring down rain on us today like it was last week. That was crazy. Uh, so as you may or may not know, uh, we just finished up a series. It took us almost two years as we went through the Gospel of Luke. And before we jump into our next series, uh, which is going to be something that I'll tell you about later on, uh, but before we do that, I want to talk to you this morning about Eastgate, uh, about uh, this church, our little faith community here, what our, our purpose and our values uh, are as a community. This is something we went over about four years ago. Um, we've done it now and anon, but it was suggested that we revisit this every so often because there's always new faces, and it's always a good idea just to kind of get a refresher on this. It doesn't hurt any of us to, to kind of look at this again and remind ourselves of why we're gathering like we do, right? So, uh, so I want to start thinking about this by asking the most obvious and basic question, and that is, uh, you know, why are we a thing? Like, uh, you know, why did this church begin anyway? Why are we here? <laughs> Bay County, our county, has uh, over 200 churches located within its 1,000 square miles. That is a lot of churches. Uh, and so in this area that's pretty densely populated with churches already, why are we a thing? Why is Eastgate here? Why did we feel the need to, to, to for this church? Um, and I think that's a really good question, honestly. A question that should be posed every now and anon. Uh, you know, no matter what our environment is, what our situation is, what, what are we doing here? What's this uh, all about? Uh, I don't have complete answers for you, interestingly enough. But what I do have is my own story. Uh, and that, for better or worse is largely what informs and influences the origin of this, this fellowship. doesn't necessarily dictate where it goes from here or where it's been going or how it's fully developed, but how it started began, you know, with my story uh, in the formation of this. 32 years ago, I was in a crisis of faith. Uh, I, I, a few years before that, Robbie and I had left what I have affectionately come to call the, the crazy church, uh, it was this uh, independent, charismatic, controlling, abusive, legalistic church that did a great deal of damage to, to our family and to my faith in particular. But in that departure, when we left that church, I, I really did. I had an encounter with Jesus that completely transformed my understanding of, of what this is all about. I had always, uh, up until that moment, viewed my Christian walk as something that, well... I viewed God as a wrathful God who went ahead and killed his son instead of me. And, but he was keeping an eye on me anyway. Didn't trust me. Didn't really like me. But, you know, was going to go ahead and put up with me uh, as long as I could toe the line. But, but in this encounter with Jesus, I encountered a grace like I had never realized uh, existed. His grace was so much more, is so much more than I had ever imagined, and it profoundly impacted me. It took me back to the scriptures, and I began to read them anew, afresh, in ways that I'd never really put together before, in terms of what it is that God's wanting to communicate to us about his love for us. So from that experience, Robbie and I set out to go um, find a new church community, you know, something different from the crazy church that I'd known. Let's find something different. And, and look, here's the thing. 
understand as I'm explaining this, my scars were really fresh from the, the crazy church. So I recognized that that was influencing my perceptions of things that were going on. But for, for me, I got really frustrated in our search for a community because I was having difficulty finding anything at that point that was expressing the kind of grace that I had just encountered from, from Jesus. And again, this isn't to say that it wasn't there. It's just that I wasn't perceiving it at the time. There was a lot of extrapolating going on in my mind. Like, I, I, you know, uh, there, even, even though there, things weren't directly stated within communities that I was visiting, there were these unspoken expectations Sort of like, you know, and you could feel them. You know, this is our brand. This is the way we do it. This is how we dress. This is how we speak. This is what we expect. And usually there was an offering envelope associated with it somewhere along the line. And for me, because everything was still so fresh and the pain was still so fresh, I'd extrapolate. Well, if they're expecting A from me here, it could be X, Y, Z out here. That may or may not be true, but that's where I was. That's That was what was informing me and fueling me. And so it was just kind of reconnecting me to that former trauma and I was really having a great deal of difficulty processing through that and if I were to be completely honest with you I had gotten to the point where I just hated church in fact I mean to be fully honest I wrote an entire manifesto called why I hate church and 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 thought it was really clever it was very immature and embarrassing at this point but it's where I was at it's not that I've ever hated Jesus I didn't hate Jesus I just couldn't handle what I was experiencing in the churches that I had explored at that point. And again, much of that had to do with my tender state uh, at the time, and I don't believe that was the fault of the various churches that I was, uh, was visiting. But the impact that it had on me is that I bailed out. I just, I just quit going. I mean, I just, you know, there was a stretch of time where I was not connected to any sort of church community at all, of people with whom I was going to share my journey of faith. I just thought, I'm just going to have this faith, and I'm just going to do it on my own, I'm just going to be by myself. And strangely enough, that did not liberate me like I thought it would. As a matter of fact, what it did was made me profoundly sad. I really found myself in strange situations where I was so heartbroken over there. I, I can remember back when we used to have an Albertson standing there just crying in the pickle aisle, uh, you know, and people were like, yeah, I know, I don't like gherkins either. But I, I mean, it wasn't that. I was just struggling at, at this time because I, I recognized that deep down, I believed in church. I do believe in this. I, I believe that Jesus intended there to be a church. He said so specifically in Matthew 16. That was, was one of his core missions was to develop this community. But I was so wounded and I was so weary and I just felt like I couldn't try one more time to fit in. Um, and I can still remember one day just the tiniest thought dropped into my head, that a thought that went maybe instead of just critiquing, you could make a difference. And, I, and so I stepped out on that hoping and believing that maybe that was God saying that to me. And, you know, that's where it all started. I've said before that Eastgate is, is, a, is a church by accident. It's, it's not entirely accurate to say that. It's just that I never in my life sat down thinking, oh, I'm going to go plant a church. I, you know, I never, I, that was not in my field of view. I was not thinking in terms of we got to plant a new church. We're going to do these kinds of things. I just thought, look, maybe we could have a little house 
group. Look at the group that meets and we'll just study the Bible and see if we could, you know, do this as a different approach, just experiment with this. And of course, you know, 27 years later, here we are uh, still doing this. But that's why we're a thing. That's why Eastgate began in the first place. That's so you can understand what was, what was behind the formation of this. But the natural follow-up question would be then, what are we? I mean, <laughs> this is why we're a thing. What, what are we after all? So that's what I want to touch on this morning. Uh, I want to look at what our purpose and our values and our vision is as a fellowship. And don't get me wrong in this. As we go over these things, I am not providing you statements of institution <laughs> in this. The, the things that I'm mentioning here are bullet points that we want to try to uh, use as a basis for formation of, of community, that we kind of build our, our, our ideals around. Uh, so, I mean, you know, and they are things that I believe keep evolving as we grow and learn and as the culture changes around us. This isn't anything that, uh, anything I'm describing here is not statically uh, defined. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying in that? It's, it doesn't mean that we're writing these things in stone, and this is how we're going to be, and this is the way it's always going to be. These things are constant. You know, humans and any kind of living organism is constantly moving and changing and growing and reformulating, and, and so Eastgate's been no different from that. So the things we're talking about this morning are the guiding principles that we're following, not rules that, that require strict conformity, but these are the guiding principles that we use for how we continue to grow and perceive ourselves and our purposes here. Does this make sense so far? Are we cool? Okay, all right, cool. So this is just to get us to a place where we have a feel for the general mindset of the ideology of this, of this community. And, you know, we say this, we've said, you know, this is our story so far. We've used that phrase a lot. This is our story so far because this is an ongoing adventure. And, and so things we talk about here are expressed a certain way today that may change later on. But we're going to begin with our purpose. What's our purpose as a church? And to understand our purpose as a church, as Eastgate, we need to understand the purpose of the church in general. And that's what, you know, I believe that all churches are intended to have the same purpose, just expressed differently by different groups of people different personalities that are going to be expressing, maybe different backgrounds, experiences like the one that, that I had. Those kinds of things shape how it is that we go about attending to those purposes, but the same purpose should be about every church. So if we go to the New Testament, we try to grasp why there's a church, we find two prominent themes, one of mission and uh, one of community. Jesus, of course, set the mission before us in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, to go into the whole world, make disciples. So the mission of the church, in its simplest of terms, is that it's to advance the kingdom of God through the good news. Advancing God's kingdom. That's our purpose. That's the purpose of any church. The second aspect of that purpose is less clearly defined, but it is dominant, a dominant theme in the New Testament, and that is the formation of relationships or, uh, or community. And that's an interesting theme because in the New Testament, we actually don't have a clear set of instructions on what community should look like, but we have a lot of relational instruction, a lot of instruction as to how we're supposed to, to get along with each other, interact with each other, care for each other, and look after this. For instance, Hebrews 10 tells us that um, 
The church could, should meet regularly. Hebrews 13 tells us that there is a, a form of leadership within the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that the church is a training and equipping place where we gather and we learn and, and learn how to use the gifts that God's given us. But the overarching thing that comes up all the way from Acts to Revelation in the New Testament is that the church is a fellowship community, a, a uniting of people. It's, the, the church is not a building. It's not a tradition. It's not a program. It's not a venue for entertainment. The church is people. You know, we, we, this place used to be decorated a little differently, a few more surfboards and things like that, and it was unusual. And people would sometimes come in and, and visit the church, or they'd look at this building, and they would say, oh, man, I, this is a kind of a weird-looking church. And I'd say, technically, this is the building. You haven't even seen the church yet. They're really weird. <laughs> but the church is people, people who are, are drawn together to form an alternate society. If you really want to understand, this is what church is about. It's, it's about us forming together into an alternate society, a counterculture community where people are united as subjects under Christ's rule, bonded together as a family of God. So when we look across the societal landscape, all the different ways in which humans gather and form and create, whether it's political alliances or whatever they may be, when we look at the societal landscape, the church is meant to be an anomaly on that landscape where society's norms get upended and and God's values are enacted in how it is that we relate to each other and, and so that his will is done on earth like it's done in heaven that's the concept and 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 that's the amazing concept of the church as the new testament describes it over and over again as paul describes it through all of his instructions that he gives to the early church so as we consider the purpose of the church at all, the larger church in the world, Matt was talking about this morning as we were worshiping together, we find our purpose as Eastgate, and this is how I would state what our purpose is. Our purpose is to advance the kingdom of God by loving God and loving people, experiencing and expressing His radical grace, that radical love that He's given towards us. Okay, well, cool. Uh, <laughs> In Matthew 22, a religious scholar asks Jesus a question to test him. And he came up to him and he asked him, Teacher, which is the great commandment, the greatest commandment in the, in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. In other words, you could say he's equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. The entire thing that God is dealing with the human race can be summed up as this. Learn how to love God and learn how to love your fellow human being. So this becomes the primary purpose of the church, the thing that makes the church community in general a counterculture community. Now listen, and here's the thing. Nearly every church probably (laughs) that you'll come across has loving God and loving people as a slogan, and that's rightly so. And so, you know... uh, Really, we're just taking our place in the historic and contemporary expressions of the church's purpose universal. We are just taking our place in this. This is what it's about. What's church about? It's this. We're learning how to love God. We're learning how to love our fellow human being. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, and these are such important verses to keep in mind when understanding our purpose, our mission. 
God, Paul says, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Think about how we represent ourselves as the church and as Christians in this world. Make sure that it's matching this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. In other words, God's not mad at you. What God wants is you to return to your original place with him. So the church's place in the world is to be a community that lives out this reconciliation where we have peace with God and peace with our fellow person and we invite others to reconcile with God and join in with this peace of community. That's the good news. I mean, it sounds like good news. I mean, you know, at least it sounds like good news to me. And here's the thing. It's good news, but it's not easy. (laughs) In fact, nothing that we're describing here, none of this is easy. It takes practice. It takes commitment. People are not always easy to love. And, you know, it gets messy along the way. But the result, oh, the result is fantastic. The result is a glimpse of Eden and what we lost. The church becomes this remarkable glimpse into to what it is that God intended all along, where the broken patterns of this world get suspended, where self-interest and selfish ambition and control are supplanted by service and genuine concern for our fellow human being. And all of it is inspired by God's love for us. That's where it starts. That's why we hammer on that. God loves us. God loves you. And if we'll believe that and know that and embrace that and live from that love, well, it'll make a difference in this world. So from there, we take what we learn about God's values and we express them then into our neighborhoods, into our workspaces, wherever it is that we are living in the world, wherever we've been placed. We take what we gather here and we spread that into the world. So that's our purpose as a church. I mean... That's the ideal. (laughs) Anything that I'm talking about, these are the ideals that we have. To learn the rhythms of God so that heaven meets earth in our lives together. Heaven meets earth in our gathering here together. Okay, so uh, that's, you know, what is so that's what kind of a thing we are. uh, But why do we do the things that we do the way we do them? Uh, And that has to do with our values. You know, why do we do so? You, you, you know, this is why we're a thing. And the thing that we do is that we pursue this goal of loving God and loving people. But why do we do it the way we do it? Uh, and that has to do with our values. Well, we're weird. Yes, I heard that somewhere. But and, and I'm not denying that. But 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 it has to do with our values and our values will shape the way it is that we go about fulfilling our purpose. So one of the things that you may notice about this community uh, in our meetings that we spend a lot of time teaching from the Bible. And, you know, why is that? I mean, is it because we just really love lectures, can't get enough of them? I would think not, probably not. To me, if we want to learn how to love God and love people, if we want to know God better, to learn about his plan, about his will for our lives, where would we begin that investigation? I mean, the Bible, right? That would be the most obvious answer. We're going to go to that. Uh, Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet 
a light for my path. In other words, your word, God's word, is a means by which we find illumination as to how to choose and live and develop our values. So as a community, we... First of all, we value God's word. Just, you know, that's one of those things. When you come hang out at Eastgate, we're going to be getting into the Bible. That's just kind of, you know, our thing. Now, if you've been coming to Eastgate for any length of time, you've no doubt become aware that we place uh, a high priority at approaching this predominantly as, as a book-by-book study. Like, we're not keen on just jumping in and grabbing a text and saying, well, you know, here's how you're going to apply this to your life or whatever. We like to get it in its context, get the overall flow. N.T. Wright was asked one time, how should we read scripture? And he said, frequently and in large chunks. And in other words, you need to get into the flow of this. Find the, the, find the storyline and see our place in that story. And that's one of the reasons we approach it this way. We want to get into this and really look at it. Because honestly, we've rescued a lot of... Bible passages that had been held in isolation and misinterpreted because they weren't put in relationship to the larger context that was there. So we can keep ourselves safe that way. Let's get into the Bible, see what it's saying, and see how it's going to be applying uh, to our lives. Uh, you know, it's attending to, to, you know, it's attending to what God gave us as instruction, not as a set of rules, but as that voice to guide us through this. You know, if we're drifting through life we're wondering and we're confused about how God wants us to live. You know, what should I be doing, God? How should I live? What are your values? God is saying, well, didn't you get my text? I said you like 66 of them. You should read those things. So that's what we do. We get into it. Now, if our intended purpose is to experience and express God's radical grace, that means that the way we interact as a community needs to be affected by that grace. So grace becomes a big deal. In Galatians 5, I'm going to read it from the message. Galatians 5, Paul says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment anyone of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. So, Secondly, as a community, we value God's grace and spirit-led freedom. So we're not going to be setting up elaborate expectations that we are going to guilt people into meeting. Uh, We're going to encourage an environment where we can love one another without having to fix one another. And listen, yeah, we're all saying amen. That is way more challenging than we think it is. That's so easy to say and so much more difficult to actually do, especially, you know, when you feel passionately about something. And to qualify, so qualifying this doesn't mean that we encourage and anything goes, matter, they don't do whatever, nobody cares. There will be times on a relational level where we will, we're going to correct one another. The Bible tells us, it tells us, exhort one another to true godliness. So, you know, towards, in other words, to exhort, encourage one another, correct one another if necessary towards the best life we can. It's just that we're committed to not condemning one another as we do that sort of thing. And again, it's all couched in relationship. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to convict so that While we may challenge one another, and this is so important, so hear this. While we may challenge one another, we will not take on the role of sin management in each other's lives. And I think that's where we kind of, 
stumble a lot as the church at all because that's the easy route. Sin management in somebody else's life, I'll do that all day long. Thank you very much. I got, I got a whole list on most of you. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. I, but I mean, that's the whole idea. It's, it's so easy to get in and say, well, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, straighten that out or whatever. It's so much more uh, of a challenge, of a faith challenge to give room for the Holy Spirit and believe and trust that the Holy Spirit loves our fellow human as much as we love them. And the Holy Spirit will guide and lead and shape that person in his time, his way. Not my time, not, not my way. So, you know, we believe in, in, in freedom here. But it also means we believe in freedom when it comes to doctrine. We leave room for varying interpretations when it comes to God's word. We don't want it to become divisive. We don't want to be splitting over these things. But listen, back in the crazy church, there was a clear requirement of total agreement on every point of doctrine. I mean everything. And if there was even a hint of dissent in you know, what was coming down from on high, the main leader, well, you were immediately suspect. You were you know, likely working with the devil. Uh, and, and anybody towing the party line was going to begin you know, isolating you and putting you in a situation that was very uncomfortable. I hope nobody's ever experienced that within the context of a church. But churches can be very dangerous places. They really can. I mean, we put a lot of trust in, in these gatherings and in those who are taking on the commitment to looking after the needs of the larger community. And, and so we don't want to betray that trust. And, and, and so it's important then that we leave room, even when it comes to doctrine, uh, leave room for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, in my, in, in my deconstruction and discovery phase of trying to get a handle on church, I discovered a phrase that was attributed to the Moravian church and the pietist movement. And this became kind of our slogan from the day Eastgate started, and that is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. In, in other words, there, there are some essential doctrines that are going to keep us connected to historic Christianity. We could say orthodoxy. And, and, you know, and I can count those pretty easily. I'm not going to go over all of those, but there are some basics, the issues of, of, of human sin, the need for salvation, the Christ's atoning death, his resurrection, ascension. Well, it sounds like I'm listing them, but, you know, we're talking about these things that are connected to historic Christianity. The church has affirmed and held to for 2,000 years. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a small number of things that the church historically has been united on. And so that's good. In those essentials, Let's maintain unity. In non-essentials, and listen, there is a host of other things. I mean, a host. I would say the large majority of what it is that we have to wrangle with and pursue and contemplate and think about as followers of Jesus fall into the category of peripheral issues that, that are non-essential, that, you know, that people can hold different opinions and, and interpretations about and we're going to leave space for that because they're non-essential. And there's a lot of different things. Like what, Rob? Well, I don't... Uh, uh, what? Premillennial. There we go. Well, okay, uh, yeah. Okay, so rapture theology breaks into all kinds of different camps or, or uh, just a host of other things that are peripheral issues that are not dealing with the essentials of what the Christian gospel is all about. Um, and, and, and so the idea is allow space for these differings so that we don't create 
unnecessary divisions within the community. We allow and respect. I mean, and this can touch personal conviction as well. And this is something that's been part of the church. Paul addresses it in Romans 14 at length, where we have the freedom to hold different convictions about how it is that we approach these things, what we would consider off limits or what we'd have the freedom for do, uh, to do. The main thing is that we let love, that we let love be the guiding principle. And, and we don't read Romans 14 enough, I don't think, because through the midst of a conflict that was developing there within the church over issues that were very important to those involved that had to do with their status as covenant people, Paul is saying, hey, the big deal here is unity and love for one another. Don't destroy what God's doing over these other things, over these other things. So we don't want to coerce someone into conforming to our personal conviction, nor do we want to flaunt our personal freedom at the expense uh, of our fellow believer. We can respect each other and love each other, even if we disagree on issues of personal conviction, because those issues are not issues that save or destroy us. Following Jesus and his path is, is it. Believing in Christ and his sacrifice for us is the means uh, by, by which we're saved. And that is of ultimate importance. So, so humility then becomes of primary importance here. Because by and large, why we want to fight on these things and why we want to get everybody dragged over closer to my conviction on it is because we're not walking in the humility of recognizing this is not about people being like me. This is a, you know, our goal is not to make everyone like ourselves, but to mutually seek to become more like Christ, right? That's the goal, to be like him. So in unity, essentials, liberty and non-essentials, all things in love. And so, you know, so we don't force our convictions or flaunt our freedoms. And the reason we don't do those things is because thirdly, we value people. Is it thirdly or fourthly? Fourthly, me and numbers, it's awesome. Fourthly, we value people. One, two, three, four, okay, it's three. This is one of the reasons that I am never allowed to touch numbers or anything at all in this in this place. <laughs> Somebody comes to try to talk to me about where's the church financially or whatever. It's like you can almost hear like, no, in slow motion, they're racing over to tackle me and get me out of the way. Um, so we value people. Listen, it's so easy for any group of people, but especially within the church, for the gatherings to become impersonal. We're serving the program or meeting the needs of the institution becomes the driving force instead of the meeting or the program serving the needs of the people. This goes back to what Jesus was saying to the, to the Pharisees who were upset with him because his, his followers were eating grain on the Sabbath and Jesus says Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. It's that same concept here within the, the church. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul called us members of the household of God. So the idea is we are family. And that's the dynamic that we want to approach and, and emulate as we understand ourselves as the church. I would say for the last 30 to 40 years, the American evangelical church has been using a business model as the basis for how we go about creating and setting priorities and uh, approaching these things. I think that's a bad model. I think 
family is a far more biblical model, albeit, I will say, that's a concept that can be abused. You know, somebody, you know, is abusive in that and says, well, it's family, you can't, you know, and so we're not saying that, so understand this from the right perspective of, of you know, we want to be careful and, and think about it in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm a volunteer family, I'm, I'm here to, to willingly participate in this, uh, but, you know, being alert and aware along the way. The thing is, the church can be managed and fine-tuned to run efficiently, and that can sometimes be at the expense of people, and we just don't want that to happen. Because, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, we can look really finely tuned and really cool and have everything together and all the, you know, bells and whistles and moving right along, but if that's at the expense of someone, and man, there's just podcasts galore coming out of of church models that are that are abusive because of this, because it looks so great on the outside, but the terrible toll that it's taking on those that are keeping that engine running, well, that can't be what God had in mind for, for the church. Families, on the other hand, well, you know, you can't choose your family. I mean, it, they're going to be messy and irritating sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, that's the way it should be. Where we gather, the meeting space, it shouldn't be pristine and beautiful. It should be a place where, you know, things are getting spilled on the floor or whatever. Something far more intimate and humanizing than a business model or a showroom of something. Uh, the showroom is our hearts. And how it is that we interact and care for and love one another. So uh, we don't want to follow a business or a corporate model. And when it comes to however leadership is formulated here within the church, we value servant leadership. Jesus said plainly in Mark 10 and Matthew 20, those who want to be the greatest in the kingdom are going to be the servants of all. He pointed out that he came to serve and not be served. And so we take that seriously. And we believe that any authority which a person has within this community extends only as far as her or his service to the community. So we set aside all sort, you know, we set aside any sort of hierarchical office in favor of the idea of ministry or leadership among God's people. There is never a power over people dynamic that is meant to be in play here. That's, that's well, I'll get into that at, at some other point. But the, the, So we have about... Uh, Eight men and women who serve to make decisions for the community. Uh, we call, we've struggled to figure out what to call them forever. It's board of elders, board of ministers, pastors, there's people. We just get together and try to figure out as a, like a, a microcosm of community to meet the needs of the larger community. No individual within that group has autonomous power to make decisions on their own. Uh, so any decision that comes along uh, that we've got to make, it's a, it's a situation where we pray about it. If we have consensus, if we all feel like, hey, this seems like the leading of the Spirit, we go for it. If we don't, like two or people are saying, ah, I'm not sure. I don't, have, I, feel, I don't feel good about it. We put it aside. We set it aside until we have unity in the Spirit. And yeah, but what if it's important? Is anything more important than unity of the Spirit and, and following what it is that, 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 that we believe is the ideal that's set out for us? Uh, you, the answer is, I don't believe it is. So, uh, so we, we, we see to it that there's, there's measures to protect and, and care for the larger needs here. And then we're also egalitarian, meaning that we believe all people, men and women, can serve uh, in ministry. And that is something that I'm going to unpack next week. So if you're interested in that and our perspective on that, I'm going to actually talk about that next week uh, in depth. 
Now, every one of the people who are here and serving and making decisions on behalf of the, the Eastgate community serve in multiple capacities around here at the church. So there's never an individual who's just sitting back and, you know, I make the decisions and, you know, and that's the way it goes. Uh, and, and, and that's all I do. Uh, that, that doesn't happen here. So everybody who's involved in leadership is doing multiple things from running sound to doing security, to mopping floors, to making coffees, to paying bills, to doing maintenance and managing volunteers and meeting needs and on and on and on. All of these different things get divided up and everybody attends to stuff like that. To be a leader in this fellowship means that you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to serve. To be a leader within this fellowship means that you could just as likely have a mop and a bucket as, you know, uh, uh, what would be the opposite of a mop and a bucket? As a Bible in your hand or whatever. I don't know. what. Who, who, whoever's walking around with a Bible in their head doing that, uh, you know, we're going to have to have a talk. But uh, so... Uh, uh, the idea behind this is to avoid power plays, to avoid ego trips from this, because that's what happens. And we're a celebrity-driven culture. Listen, this is just the air we breathe as Americans in, in the time that we live. And it's so important that we take whatever measures we can to ensure that we don't feed into that, that we don't allow that sort of air to infect our culture. We don't want anyone on a pedestal. We want Jesus exalted and lifted up so that he can transform our hearts and our lives and ultimately this world. And so that's been our hope all along so far. I believe uh, it's been in, it's been working. Come talk to me if you don't think it is. Uh, uh, so those are some of the values that define us as one of the unique expressions, one among many unique expressions of God's church in the world. Some, from purpose and values that shape us, we derive our common direction and our goal as a fellowship, and that's often what a church will call its vision. So basically the goals that we have as a community is our vision, our church vision. So we'd express our vision this way. Our goal at Eastgate is to be a safe place to experience God's grace and to make his grace known. That's, that's the goal. That's what we're striving for. Have we achieved it? Are we there yet? Yeah, I don't know. But that's the goal. That's where we want to be. That's what we want to be known for and recognized as. People who discover that they're loved by God and then set out to share that love with others so that God's rule over hearts expands in this world and then this world changes one heart at a time. So that's our purpose, our values, our vision in just quick uh, summation uh, that way. Now, sometimes people will come to me and say, listen, I like this church. I want to become a member here. Uh, where do I sign? Who do I have my letter transferred to? Um, and, uh, so don't have a letter sent here because they, they usually get lost. And I'm not kidding. And that's really tragic. Uh, but it's just one of those things where we don't. That's OK. So if you if you if you feel like this is where you want to be, what I've always said is awesome. <laughs> just keep hanging out with us and learning how to care for each other. And that, as far as I can tell, is what the whole uh, idea. I, we don't have a formal contractual membership here. Uh, it, it's just, you know, uh, I've heard or arguments for and against, and I'm not like trying to take up a stand against it as evil or wrong or anything like that. It's just how we've come to practice membership. We just, you know, do it this way. Uh, so, uh, yeah. as I see it, being committed to Christ to be committed to Christ and to be committed to each other is the central expectation of the New Testament, and that's a matter of the heart. So no contract ever signed is going to really change that. That's a heart thing. So uh, that's where we leave it on that. So advancing God's kingdom by loving God, loving others, 
experiencing and expressing the radical grace of God and by being God's love in this world, those are the things that we're committing to when we decide to be a part of this church. If this is a church community, we want to say we want to uh, participate and be in. And as I said, we're not going to police those things. We're, you know, have you been expressing the grace of God? Uh, we've got full confidence. Well, I'll say it this way. I've got full confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to shape us all without me needing to, to micromanage or coerce or doing any such thing. I believe that God can shape us and will shape us into the people that he wants us to be, following after his values and expressing this good news into the world and I believe he's going to accomplish it and I I believe over the years uh, we've certainly seen it happening to some degree but you know I also as a pastor want us to take this seriously and you know and, and see it as part of our calling to be a part of you know a fellowship some fellowship of the body of Christ uh, so that we can you know be a part of this greater community that that is reflecting God's love into the world to fulfill this commission uh, that God gave us and play our part uh, to, to represent the new world that's coming, that God is going to be making. So this is Eastgate. Um, hope we have a heart for it. Hope that, that, that uh, it, it incites something in you that, that wants to be a part uh, of that. So, and if that's the case, then let's be members of this thing together. Let's do this together. Let's commit in our hearts to do this together and then see where God takes us from here. Right on? All right, very cool. If you'll stand with me, please. Father, we thank you so much for... Well, we thank you for your word, which has guided us towards the development of this community. And we thank you for this community. I thank you, Lord, daily for the hearts and the lives of people who've joined together like this, where we, we labor together. To, to seek your purposes and your will and, and, and to, find, to find your way in the midst of all of the noise and the static of this chaotic world. Father, as we do this, as we commit to this, as we gather here and we, we commit to gathering around your word for you by your spirit to shape us through that, I pray that you do that. I pray that you by your spirit um, not only shape us into the vessels you intend us to be, but, but mold us together. Uh, into a living family, into a unit that that represents your glorious grace, not not in uniformity, but in unity, as a as as a as a beautiful diamond held up, refracting light in so many different planes and surfaces, in so many unique ways. Let us be that uh, as a community, and I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm walking through the bright white gates Breathing in and out your grace All around me melodies rise That echo with a joy inside So I start to sing singing for you, my God. 
here today there's a couple things um we want to remind you that there's a baptism today down at uh at uh, uh rick seltzer park sorry i'm running out of words uh casey is, uh, who's Katie? is that you okay casey's getting baptized today so i want to 
be stoked for him. Uh, so, uh, uh, Rick Seltzer Park's right across from um, Mr. Surf's down on Thomas Drive on the east-west portion of Thomas Drive. We're going to go there as quick as we can after the service. Uh, I want to meet with you before uh, you bail out of here today. Uh, Aaron Simmons is, uh, this is her last meeting with us. Uh, she's moving. Where are you moving to? Back to, she's going back to Texas? Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure Texas is wonderful. Uh, we're Susie. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, so we want to pray for her. Listen, Erin has been an awesome member in this community. She has worked tirelessly working with the meals ministry, making coffee in the morning, all these different ways in which she served and loved this community, and we just appreciate her so much. So let's pray for her as she's leaving. Does some of you guys want to gather around her and Let's pray for her. Uh, Father, we just pray for Erin. We thank you so much that she's been part of this story uh, for as long as she has. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that we've gotten to know her and we've built this relationship with her. And we just pray that as you send her out, that, that she becomes a blessing to wherever it is that you send her, whatever community she finds herself among, that she's a blessing with them like she's been a blessing to us. We send her out with the blessings and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things for her, Father, that you will surround her and protect her and be with her as she sets up this new phase of her life. And we pray these things, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to speak this blessing on each other here today. And then if you need prayer for anything, um, there are people are, who are here who would love to pray with you. Uh, we can anoint you with oil if you need prayer for healing. Uh, however you'd like to do that, but they'll be here up at the front after the service. So come on up and, and be prayed for if you'd like. But together, let's say these things. May you see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. May the Lord hold you steady and still. In Jesus Christ, hold firm. Take heart. In his love, there is hope for you. Go in peace, you children of God. <laughs>